for me, it's been a home run in two ways, on the racetrack and also building our brand here in Australia in our business. We finished first or second every year since 05, um, which was... Uh, I knew it was fast before, and I proved it very it's, it's motor racing, you know, you can't really just look at the last race of the year. You have to look at, uh, it starts at Adelaide and it ends at Newcastle. But... From the racetracks across Australia, and here's Inside Supercars. Welcome to Inside Supercars, Tony Whitlock and Craig Ravel as we head down just uh, 10 days or so to go, 12 days to go until we're into the Newcastle final of the 2018 Virgin Australia Supercar Championship. It's going to be a thrilling weekend coming up. It Craig? is. It's going to be quite an interesting one to see who might take out the trophy. I'm... I'm not sure which way it's going to go, to be completely honest with you. But, uh, well, normally they say the man in front has got the advantage, don't they? Of course, last year uh, it was a uh, very different weekend with Scotty having a great Saturday and then a very bad Sunday. Um, of course, that was the reverse that he did at Pukekohe. And he actually showed something of the metal that maybe he's grown the outer skin uh, that he needed last year, of course, he he buggered up big time, um, and unfortunately, it was under the eyes of Roger Penske and Tim Sindrick, uh, where three penalties in the Sunday race meant that uh, his championship was cooked, and Jamie came through. It certainly will be interesting. Already, Triple Eight have won their ninth in eleven years teams championship, so that's settled there in Pitland opening box uh, in 2019, but it'll be fascinating to see the uh, way it unfolds. Big topic for the moment, of course, is the shakedown for the uh, new Ford for 2019 and beyond, and that's the Mustang. Of course, uh, DJR Team Penske have been very busy, and Craig, you were fortunate enough to grab the man most likely to be leading the team next year as well with a whole new uh, range of cars on the grid in the Ford Mustang. Yeah, Ryan's story we speak to this week in uh, one of our feature interviews, and it's very interesting. We speak to him not only about the Mustang and Newcastle, but a whole range of other topics as well. And uh, he, of course, um, taking on a uh, position with the Supercars Commission, so he's got uh, some added interest across all aspects of supercars now. And, of course, one of the things that uh, DJR Team Penske had to do was what Triple Eight did last year, and that is running a concurrent program with one car at the same time prepping for a new season in a new car. Although it's not a new chassis, it's a new body, and certainly the aerodynamic influence on that body is uh, very important. Hmm. So that's going to be interesting to see, uh, or listen to, rather, as well as uh, comments about the new transaxle, it looks likely. Yeah, we definitely speak about that uh, innovation as well. And I would hasten to add that uh, we have got a, a very interesting situation with supercars now where, Tony, we are looking down the barrel of 24 cars next year if all media reports are accurate, and we know that uh, most of them are. Um, and this is a, a topic we also touch with Ryan about the, the critical mass for the championship, was, which was a discussion topic we had with Stefan Bartholomew and Tom Howard last week. 
That certainly will be an interesting one to listen to. And the second part of our show for this week is a reflection back on very early times in the uh, life of uh, supercars and uh, even your life in, in uh, doing your uh, radio show. And that being reflecting on with Kevin Fitzsimons. Fitzsimmons. Uh, Fitzsimmons, rather. Yep, Kevin Fitzsimmons, reflecting on the tyre contract and 20 years ago, how that was done, how it was handled, the uh, three uh, bidders for it, that being Dunlop, Bridgestone and Yokohama. And that's going to be a fascinating uh, insight into that time in the early days of the category. So certainly that's an interesting show this week. Yeah, it was a fun chat with Kevin, as it normally always is with Kev, but uh, it is hard to believe that 20 years ago was the end of the tyre wars in supercars and... Uh, there would be some supercars fans that don't even realise that there was ever a tyre war in supercars, but uh, it it was a change. Was it the best move for the category? That's a an interesting question, which I think still gets debated uh, around a few different uh, barbecues in uh, motorsport circles. I had three or four years of uh, writing about the tyre wars, and I certainly enjoyed it enormously. Uh, I still have a remnant of Peter Brock's last ever touring car championship round, and the tyre that exploded at Oran Park that year. Um, the piece of that tyre was uh, uh, confiscated by Graham Mort Brown uh, that was grabbed by both Yokohama and Dunlop. I've still got the piece. But anyway, another time. So that's this week's show. First of all, Ryan's story and then Kevin Fitzsimon coming up after the break. First off with Ryan. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. Yeah, I mean, it, it means a lot. You know, Through the years, a lot of reference this race is one of our majors. 600 miles around here is no easy task. Uh, we were able to beat the two levels to the boys and, uh, and meet Anthony Bigley in the final, which uh, we were able to do um, take the win off him. So, it was, uh, yeah, it was a great weekend for the uh, Raptors and the family. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. The views expressed on Inside Supercars, including the panellists and guests, do not reflect the views of the network, Thunder Media or Sport Radio. Any publication or rebroadcast of the show without the expressed written permission of Thunder Media is strictly prohibited. Well, Ryan Story joins us on Inside Supercars. Ryan, a busy time for every team, but for a team that's also doing the primary development work on a car that's going to launch next year, how uh, crazy is it in a head office at uh, DJR Team Penske? Well, it's uh, it's it's all uh, all irons in the fire at the moment. Obviously, we we can't take our focus off Newcastle, but we need to be thinking about the future as well. So, we've spent most of the year working on 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 parallel programs, so to speak, and staffing up accordingly. And uh, this is exactly what uh, what we live for. This is what it's all about. The championship fight has been an interesting one where do you sit on how to manage that weekend and how to take as much pressure off scott as possible well the key thing is just ensuring that his commitments off track aren't in any way over overly cumbersome or overbearing so he he's got a job to do and and we know that he's capable of getting it done on track if we give him the the car for it we just need to make sure that he's in the right headspace so We've had meetings as recently as today on that too in terms of what commitments we uh, we set him up for and, and the ones that we put a delight 
a polite decline to. Uh, but that's just the nature of the beast. It's no different to any other race weekend. It's just that there's more on the line for this one than 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 a, than a typical race race weekend. Do you, as a, a you know a team principal, have lessons learnt from last year that you are going to take into this year to do things differently? Well, one of my you know that Dick Johnson lives by or swears by the mantra that those uh, we get from looking back to sore neck. I'm more of a believer of those who forget the events of the past are doomed to repeat them. So I'll, I'll let you uh, I'll let you, let you come to your own conclusion. Well, let's look uh, at the new Mustang. You've been taking it uh, around the country in camo style uh, to give it a shakedown run. How have those shakedowns gone and where do you sit with the way the development team has done their job? Well, we get to have a couple of test days when you bring in a new car, and we've racked both of those up now. And, and the testing went remarkably well. It was pretty smooth sailing, as, as you would expect with a modern-day supercar. But it was just a matter of evaluating and ensuring that the numbers that we saw in our CFD and the numbers that we were expecting matched as closely as, uh, as we could hope and that the car performed as, it, as, it, as, it, as could be expected. We got some good feedback from the drivers. There's, there's a... There's a mood of, I suppose, cautious optimism. It's, it's too early to say that uh, the car's going to be a winner yet, but uh, there's some encouraging signs, and that's really what we set out to achieve. We wanted to make sure that we had a race car that could compete and had a good a good aero balance almost out of the box, and, and that's pretty close to where we are. So I think the test days were very successful for us, and we'll get through the official supercars homologation process the week after Newcastle, and then the, we'll be building building new cars and, and converting cars and rebuilding our spares pack package in earnest. How many cars, oh, sorry, I should say how many people did you have to move, move around or employ just to run this program for the development? So as a consequence of taking on the homologation team responsibilities for Ford and the associated responsibilities with homologating the new car, we went up in headcount net one. That's an additional additional resource in engineering. Uh, but across the board, we've effectively uh, undertaken our existing resource and allocated them accordingly to, uh, to the various roles and responsibilities and duties uh, that were there to be met. So what we've tried to do on the racing team front is try and limit the exposure to our mechanics as, as much as possible to the build of the of the homologation car, and with our engineers, it's uh, it's probably been a little bit more a little bit more murkier in terms of what their responsibilities have been to the project. But uh, I think we've managed it as well as we can. Certainly, Triple Eight have have been the exemplary example from which we can take note of. Uh, they they undertook this process last year and won a championship. So obviously, we hope to emulate that. Uh, but we've got we're fortunate to have people like Ludo Lacroix, who's got a tremendous degree of experience in homologating new cars. Gary Kappa, who's got a lot of experience in homologating cars. We've, whilst there's a lot of people who are fresh to this process, we've got quite a quite a number of experienced hands who have been there, seen it, seen it, done it before, and uh, and that that's really what makes the big difference. If you can manage manage your people accordingly and and project managers as effectively as you can, you you limit the uh, the damage and the harm that could otherwise uh, otherwise take place when you're trying to juggle a number of things at the same time. How exciting has it been for you when you've, you know, come in or you're on the way out and the guys are talking about, hey, we've we've found this, hey, we've tried that, and throughout that development process, because you are an engineer as much as you are a manager, 
in uh, in the headspace anyway. What's that excitement like? Oh, it's extraordinary. I mean, if, if, you, if you look at it philosophically, the first week that Ludo was with us at DJR Team Penske, we went down and met with uh, with our counterparts at TikTok to talk about how we could potentially get a project like this off the ground. So it's been it's it's been long in gestation, but in reality, we've only had the green light since March. So it's it's only had a very short short amount of time to uh, to germinate to where it is today. And every every important milestone is one that's memorable. The first time that the panels get delivered from suppliers and you can assemble the, the sides of the car and, and you start putting the front ends together and and basically you end up with a with a Mustang supercar on the floor of your workshop. It's a very special moment indeed, and even more special when you see it ra- racing around in anger. So there's been a couple of key key milestones along the way, and and basically everyone has been. Has been quite unique. There's there's so much that's unique and special about this car. Mustang's a hero car. We have to do it the right way. We've worked in concert with Ford from from the very beginning, with the Asia Pacific Design Studio to make sure that we we instill Mustang's DNA in our race car through to Ford Performance, who are absolute uh, you know the absolute world class when it comes to developing race cars. It's it's been it's been quite a journey. It's interesting because from memory you had to lengthen the car a fraction and I guess where that length goes becomes critical to balance and and some of the characteristics the car will have. Well, we've seen others in in times gone by get that uh, that chassis placement wrong and you're haunted by it for 12 months. You're haunted by it until you can re-homologate. So if you get it wrong, the uh, the pay, the, the... I suppose the, the cost of that is something that continues to, uh, to send you an invoice. So uh, you have to do your homework and you have to be confident in your numbers uh, to ensure that you end up with a good race car. And that's why, you know, Triple Eight have been the exception to the rule in, in recent times. But for the most part, when you introduce a new car, it takes a little bit of time to get your head around it before you start seeing some results. And of course, there are a few exceptions to that. But for the most part, that's the rule. And that's certainly the uh, the mentality that we take into 2019. That it may take us a little bit of time to understand what our new weapon is, but uh, like I said before, we're we're cautiously optimistic that it's uh, an evolved uh, an evolved package of what we have. Um, we, we we have a very good familiarity with the FTX, of course, and we think that the aero balance fundamentally is 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 sound. Uh, and with some with some I suppose some tweaks and some finessing of that we believe the Mustang can be a really good a really good package out of the box and, and that's what we're hoping to achieve. It's the end of the season but it's not the end of the workload and uh, I imagine you're trying to put everything in place for 2019. What does a car, a hero car like the Mustang mean for partnerships, for media commitments and then you know, obviously, you have to do a lot of extra work around launching a car like this. Well, it's important for us on a number of respects. I mean, we've been racing Falcon and, and doing Falcon, doing Falcon at its service for some time. I mean, after the Falcons that we race are the, are the are the last of the Australian built Falcons. If you think about it, really, I mean, they haven't been making them now for a couple of years. So, it's a, it's a car that's long in the tooth, and we were due for a change. The, the fact that we're changing to something like Mustang just makes it all the more special. And to do it in concert with Ford and to see Ford's investment in supercars and their belief in supercars as a marketing platform for their business is something very special. And, and it gives a great deal of meaning to, to the project overall. So 
there's a lot of expectations to be met, not just with the car, but with how we handle things off track as well, and how we officially launch the vehicle when we when we when we reveal what it looks like without the camouflage on the camouflage on on its sides, and uh, and how we go forward with Ford into the new year too is something that uh, that we're looking forward to talking more about. But uh, it's something that uh, it means that we only have a very short Christmas break, so to speak, between building cars and preparing for the new season, but it's something that we relish, and it doesn't come along very often. We don't see new new cars and new models introduced to supercars every year. It's something that happens every every three to five years. So to, to do something like this and embark upon a project like this is very special, and, and all of us appreciate just how much it means not only to the team and our supporters, but to the sport. How effective is the camo at uh, hiding the real look of the car? I think the car looks pretty good in the flesh, and I don't think the photos have quite done it justice. But it's been a little polarising looking at some of the social media reactions, and you know I, I sort of take that with what it is and, and and respect it. It's just great to see that there's so much interest in what we're doing and, and so much passion for what we're doing. But I think when people get the chance to see see the car in Shell V Power colours next year and see it either on on the box or in the flesh, they'll be pretty pleased with the work that's been done, and and uh, and hopefully it will take some take some pride in, in, in what Mustang is and, and relish in the fact that it's racing in the series. Has there been a component uh, bill that's come across your desk and gone and you've just looked at it and gone, my God, we've got to find a cheaper way to build this? Well, we've been, we've been I suppose, uh, preconditioned to running composite panels on cars through the course of this year. We've seen the Falcon migrate that way and basically all the cars... All the cars, bar one or two panels, the externally are running composite panels, and it's it's quite cost effective. It basically gives you greater options of repairability. Total cost of ownership is reduced significantly as well. But we've got a lot of OEM sheet metal under the surface, and we've worked worked hard with Ford to effectively stop the plant at Flat Rock to effectively retrieve 100 sets of panels. For, for all the cars that race in the series to uh, to go racing with, and that will certainly cover us for, for the life of the vehicle. So I think that we've, from an economic point of view, I think there's a lot of things that we've done right. I'm sure there's a couple of things we'll look back on in 12 months that we, we wish we could have done differently. But as it sits now, we're as, we're as, we're as, as, as well prepared and, and, have, and have done our homework to be as, uh, to be as I suppose, as prepped as we can possibly be taking the new car racing in, into the new season. Has the prototype that you've got, or the new car that you've got out, um, been testing with, and obviously that's the car you'll go to homologation with, has that got the X-Track diff in it? No, no, it's got the Alvin's diff in it, and it will do the uh, the VCAT, the homologation test, with the Alvin's transmission in it. Um, we're, the teams are expecting to receive delivery of uh, of uh, the new components for, for the 2019 in the new season. Um, but uh, for now, we're still running on the, on, on the albums, and that's precisely what the cars will be put through their paces with in the in the post Newcastle VCAT. Is that a, a difficulty when you're trying to build a car like this and not exactly knowing the points you'll need for the X track in the future? Well, it's a it's a swap in and out replacement, so we don't see any issues with that. I mean, the main the main reason for going down this path is all about longevity and life of components so we don't foresee any uh, any 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 issues with uh, with that late change uh, it's 
just basically the way that the series is elected to go and, uh, and, and we'll follow in step. It's, it's interesting because uh, you're hoping, and I, you know, speaking to the extract guys, you get the impression that uh, where you might be re- rebuilding a, a rear end or an, a, an Alvin stiff every single race meeting, the expectation from them is you won't have to touch it for three, maybe four, and possibly even you know six or seven events. Oh, look, I think that um, there's there's a number of reasons why we've elected to go the way that we have, and longevity is only part of it. It's it's also having a, a part or a product that's that's fit for purpose and that's evolved to where our cars are with their with their with their grip and, and, and loads and, and you know we we run what is effectively a very heavy race car. So perhaps what we've been racing the last couple of years isn't quite up to snuff and, and, and didn't quite fit the initial brief in terms of how often we'd have to crack the thing open and, and how thing and how it would how it would last. But that's not to take away from the job that they've done and the racing's been good. You know, it's not a reflection the change is not a reflection of what the product has uh, managed to achieve. It's more a reflection of, of how much it's costing us to go racing and the needs for that to be somewhat more economical. So uh, we'll, we'll see we'll see how that plays out. Mm. Now, putting Commissioner hat on for a moment, um, congratulations too on the appointment. Thanks, I appreciate it. It's a, it's a good opportunity to give back to the sport and it's, it's one of those things where you see people who have committed a lot of uh, a lot of time and effort over the years to give back to the sport in that in that way. Brad Jones is one. Tim Edwards, Roland Dane on the board in recent times. Todd Kelly. There's a, there's a number of people who have who have sought to effectively give back to the sport and, and ensure that the the future of the sport is healthy and that the governance of the sport is healthy. And uh, and I think that there's a responsibility, particularly for us being one of the bigger teams, respectively, to. Uh, to make those accommodations and, and, and give back where we can. So I'm humbled at the opportunity and, and hopefully uh, hopefully can make a contribution that's, uh, to the benefit uh, of all, all of the, all of our competitors. Well, it's an interesting time to be in that position with the new operations manual. I imagine that's getting signed off at Newcastle. We haven't seen it yet, but it can't be too far away. And then, of course, I uh, wanted to get your perspective about uh, the likelihood of a 24 car grid next year oh it's uh, i think we've we've seen a little bit we've seen some media already on on rex being handed back and things and that's never never something that you want to see and i think that's where there is a an onus and a responsibility on on all of us particularly those uh, representative uh, representative uh, or team representatives on the commission and the board to do what we can to ensure that there is good economies within the sport uh, for the teams to ensure that we can be sustainable and continue to effectively go racing year in, year out. And uh, it's uh, it's not for lack of effort to, to this point, but it does require uh, a mandate to be set to ensure that we have that going forward. And uh, and that's something that uh, that is that is going on at the moment in earnest. Is there a critical mass like uh, for the series that you can't afford to have less than, you know, 20 cars or 22 cars. Is is there something like that that has been modelled that says this is what you actually need because that's what will make the racing, you know, at the at the uh, level that you want to sustain? Well, ideally we want 26 cars on the grid. That's how many wrecks are in existence. That's how many 
that's how many cars can be accommodated in supercars transportable pit structure. Um, that's that's basically uh, that's basically full employment, and uh, I think you always strive to have full employment. Well, Ryan, it's going to be an interesting time ahead, and uh, as this conversation was more about the future than uh, the well, the the long term future than it was about uh, the championship that you guys are knuckling down to battle for in a week or so's time. Well, it's it's something that we are really looking forward to with great relish. I mean, we we got through New Zealand, and uh, Scott is fortunate to have a, a, a wafer thin. Uh, wafer thin lead, and uh, we know this thing's going to go down to the wire. And it's the two best guys. I mean, if you look, if you look at the course of the season, it's it's been Scott and it's been Shane all year, and uh, and I think that that's uh, that's a healthy sign of of the competitive nature of the sport to see the guys who have been duking it out all year take it down to the far to the last event. It means that our on track product's pretty good, and we just need to ensure that that's what we change and what we do in the future. The on-track product is good and we're catering for all of our, our fans and supporters and, and giving them good, hard racing. Mm. Ryan, always a pleasure to catch up with you here on Inside Supercars. Thanks, Craig. Cheers. After the break, we'll be going with Kevin Fitzsimmons talking about the early days of tyre contracts. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. This year in Formula 3, I think it's a fantastic environment for me to be doing that. However, I believe for myself, uh, a sustainable career in tin tops such as BS Supercars in Australia is where I see myself. Second crack at the Australian time since we've been back and a bit unlucky the first time that we end up with a win there at Speedway City uh, two weeks ago. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation, post your thoughts on our Facebook page and to ask a question, email insiders at sportradio.com.au. Kevin Fitzsimmons from Dunlop, it's great to have you uh, join us again. And uh, Kevin, it's hard to believe, towards the end of 1998, Supercars was changing from being a series that ran on basically what you brung, as far as tyres go, to a single make tyre. And uh, at the time, you were heavily involved with another brand, Bridgestone, and uh, were part of the successful tender package. What was it like, and how did that all come about? Yeah, it was. Um, it came about uh, basically uh, V8 Supercars, as it was known then. Um, you know, had representatives from. Um, uh, Yokohama, Bridgestone, Dunlop, uh, Hoosie were there for a little while, Goodyear were there for a little while, that type of scenario. Um, and we got to the point where um, sponsorship was was becoming very, very tight. Um, the cigarette sponsorship had finished with the teams that had that involvement. Um, so money was sort of really, really tightening up and everything. So they had to try and find a way of um, reducing costs, selling the show to sponsors and things like that. And it got to the point where... Um, there were certain tracks where a certain tyre brand would be uh, perform better than another and if you didn't have that tyre brand that weekend you were going nowhere and that's a very difficult thing to sell to a sponsor um, they want to know why you why you didn't go well and unfortunately it became very easy to blame the tyre side of things and everything if you didn't have what somebody else had you know so it uh, yeah that you know F1 was sort of starting to head down that path Bridgestone, Bridgestone had come into F1 um, around about that same sort of period and um, Goodyear were sort of uh, the dominant tyre there for a, a long long time had over 360 race wins and all of that sort of thing so um, 
it just got to the point where they sort of thought well a single tyre supplier would be the level playing field for everybody it's easy to sell the sponsors because you can't use that as an excuse anymore and it's also it was a way of reducing costs in one respect because um, if you had the tyre deal as a one of the, the factory supplied items that was great and everything but the poor buggers down the back were, were picking up the pieces you know and um, made it very very difficult so um, the decision was made um, uh, late 97 um, to yeah, head down this path and um, yeah the tenders come out mid, mid 98 and closed off on the Friday night of the Gold Coast race in October uh, in 98 um, unbelievably stressful time there was um, back then you know, like there was faxes flying around everywhere. Email wasn't a wasn't a major moving point in the world at that time, sort of thing. There was faxes flying back and forth to Japan and trying to put the deal together, and um, it got very, very close to yes or no type of thing for that one. So um, yeah, so then uh, Bridgestone was awarded that one in '99 uh, uh, or '98. Yeah, we got then. So '99, 2000, 2001 was Bridgestone. It was a three-year deal. Um, and then uh, the early part of 2001, the tenders went out again, and that went to um, uh, to Dunlop, who to this day have still pushing tyres around. It's just one of those things. So we're just about to sand down, actually. It'll be the 250,000th control tyre that Dunlop supplied, so pretty significant milestone. Um, I know it's wonderful. We've picked every one of them up and put them down at least a dozen times. So, uh, so yeah, it's a pretty cool milestone for us. And, you know, it's something that... Um, um, for brand awareness, and it's, it's a pretty important thing for Dunlop now. So, uh, yeah, so happy to be involved with it still. Communications was so much different 20 years ago. Can you explain to us what sort of decisions were having to be made by the corporate offices in Japan about even putting a tender in in the first place? Because there's revenue, but I imagine it's it's not the sort of revenue that you'd pin your business on yeah it's it's a really difficult one because uh, as i said it was a three-year tender so you had to sit back and um you know at that point of time we'd only been to darwin once um all of those type of things so you had to start getting your head around you know queensland raceway was was a, you know in its infancy sort of thing so we were about to head there for the first time and things like that so we had to you know say well what tire are we going to go with because at that point of time they wanted to have a wet and a dry that was it um so you had to sort of sit back and say, right, oh, the, the dry tyre's got to be, it's a 261 it was called, the, the compound, um, was our hardest tyre because we did race at Pukekohe, we did race at Bathurst, you did race at Phillip Island. Um, that tyre wasn't particularly suited to the likes of Queensland Raceway, um, you know, even Winton on a cold day, that type of scenario. Well, I was thinking it, Cambria eventually came onto the calendar yeah, at a freezing cold time of year. Yeah, absolutely. June long weekend. A rocket scientist bloody picked that one. That was a shocker. Um, very cold, bitterly cold. You know, like, yeah, that, that wasn't pleasant. Um, it's a whole other conversation. Yeah, that that take, it took a whole race to get some tyre temperature. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. That was, yeah, some funny stories. We really talked about one of them the other day. And, um, yeah, Canberra was, yeah, funny times. But, you know, it, it was that type of thing. We had a, um, you know, had to go for that. So you had... Um, you know, we were in the throes of, you know, Bathurst, Gold Coast, those, those type of things. Um, foreign notes back and forward to the factory that, A, can you guarantee you can produce all these tyres? You know, do you have the production capacity? Because, as I said, Bridgestone were entering F1 at that time. Um, the factory was very, very focused on getting the F1 stuff out, and they changed, you know, tyres like you change your jocks. You know, it was... 
um, yeah, it was it was a very very intense time. So that was the main thing, you know. Um, can we be price competitive? That was really important. Um, the yen was jumping around all over the place. Crude oil prices were jumping around. Rubber prices were jumping around. So very difficult to lock in for three years to see into the future to see what you know where things were going to go and all of those type of things. So. It was a very, very difficult time uh, for that. And as I said, it literally got down to... We were stuck in the traffic um, at the Gold Coast race where the old pit area used to be to get to Marine Parade to get the tender in on time. It was very, very, very tight, I tell you. So, uh, um, yeah, it was... it was interesting, it was, <laughs> but you know, as I said, we, we went with the one compound. Uh, Queensland Raceway com, came on board. We had massive problems with graining because the compound didn't suit that track. It was more of a synthetic tyre. Uh, in the throes of doing all of this, we, we developed another tyre with uh, with Glenn Seaton um, and uh, uh, Lounsey. At that stage, had just come back from from overseas and had another year back at. Um, at HRT at the time and everything so we got into a bit of a development program and came up with the YGD which was more of a natural rubber tyre. The wet tyre didn't change, that was uh, decided very early in the piece to be a very aggressive intermediate which to this day we still have Um, it's not an ideal wet tyre in cold, you know, heavy heavy rain but it does its job. So you'd sort of do all those type of things and and, you know once all those ducks line up you sort of put the thing together and say right I how much is it going to cost us to run this? Because all of a sudden you've, you know, you've got to ramp up with truck size and, and freight and all these things, and that. so there's a massive amount to consider. You know, staffing. Um, so there was a, you know, a lot of figures to be hashed, and, and you're quite right. There's, there's not a lot of money to be made in it um, at the moment. There's no money to be made in it because we're sort of subsidising so much stuff uh, um, these days, you know. But um, it's a brand exercise. It's not so much a um, money making thing. You know, it's, it's not what it's about at all. How was that the first time you'd been involved in a tender process like that? Uh, to that scale, yeah. We'd done things before with, you know, Formula Ford, Formula V, the, um, uh, the former U- V8 Ute series, that type of thing. So um, that's a drop in the ocean compared to, to running this one. You know, this is a, uh, a big big business sort of thing now. You, you, you sort of, we're in the vicinity of... Uh, uh, 14 to half, 15,000 tyres a year with wet weather tyres and the Dunlop Super 2 series and you know, you've got a, you know, placing orders with the factory and getting the tyres in and warehousing it and freighting them around the countryside and staffing the race meetings and all that sort of stuff. It's, um, it's grown enormously. You know, the, um, I've got a photo at, uh, at home of um, the first Melbourne F1 GP when, um, before it was the control tyre thing and everything and there's... Um, uh, 22 sets of tyres laid out, uh, which was all our teams that we had there and everything. And I took a photo. I was going, "Geez, look at all these tyres and that, you know." And, and here we are doing, you know, 2,000 at Bathurst last year, and you, you, you know, we're heading to Sandown, going to do 1,100 there in a couple of weeks, and we've done over 740 here at uh, Tail and Bend, you know. So, um, yeah, it's uh, it's grown enormously. It really has. How do you go with staff? Do you pick up? guys from Dunlop stores or do you bring everyone with you? Yeah, from the the, uh, the company point of view, we own um, majority of the, the, the retail Burrupiers stores. So um, I've got um, Hayden Smith that's with me full time. Um, he helps me at the warehouse and logistical and the operational side of the business. Um, Stephen King that drives the truck um, uh, just helps us at race meetings, um, not, not necessarily during the week as much and everything, but with the way the calendar is, he's, he's there as much as we are anyhow, you know, and trucks coming and going and things like that and everything. But, yeah, so we, we grab the fitters um, that we use at the racetracks uh, locally and um, that's sort of a bit of a reward for them too. So, we, you know, it's, it's a good thing. Here's your reward. You work bloody hard for three, four days at a racetrack. Yeah, that's funny how... Um, 
a lot of people think that they're having a, a good time and you know watching the world go past and all this sort of things. But when the, when it's happening, it's 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 full on, you know. But you know, you, if you have four tyre machines running, sort of thing, that's a, and you, it takes about a minute to, to fit a tyre, so that's a set a minute you're doing. So if you've got uh, 250 sets, a thousand tyres, you know, four hours you've knocked it off. Sounds great in theory, but um, that's that's it in a nutshell, sort of thing. So there's lots of time of where it's downtime there's not a great deal going on and everything but then there's other times when you're absolutely flat out so uh and and that sort of transitions you know but uh that's all part and parcel of it so um but uh you know we we sort of done that and it's evolved over the years and um you know as i say we're, we're to the point we've got the contract currently till the end of 2019 and currently working on a um you know an extension to the contract working with supercars and the communication lines there are very very good with the technical team um you know we, we often bounce ideas off each other um with with all sorts of things you know not necessarily just tires um because as you know i've been around a while <laughs> seen a few laps seen a few careers come and go so um yeah it's it's always good to have something new and it's you know there's so much excitement uh with the, the uh you know the imminent arrival of the mustang and uh, everyone loves a pony car even if you're a chevy bloke you'd still love a pony car i'm sure so uh you know and the, you know this circuit uh at the bend you know the the, the first race there and um, now let's hope we go to Bathurst this year and have a dry race there and um, see what they can do going flat out for, for six and a half hours and uh, yeah, looking forward to that one. Unless you've got a whole heap of wets you want to get rid of and then you want the wettest race you can find. Yeah, I've got plenty of wets, I've got plenty of wets in stock and that's the frustrating part about it. We were flying them in left, right and centre yeah. the end of last year. It was it was crazy, you know, with Sydney Motorsport Park then to Sandown, the Bathurst and then to the Gold Coast and over to New Zealand. It was just like, is this ever going to stop, you know? And you come back here now and the poor buggers up there that are in drought and everything, you sit back and go, like, you know, funny how, you know, Bathurst last year we were all complaining about the rain and they'd do anything for it now. And I just got to ask them to stop a rain dance for that one week in October and then after that it can bucket down you know so uh, you know they're in our thoughts of course all those poor people up there but um, no it's uh, it's just one of those things you just uh, keep the stock over you can't hold on to a massive amount because you didn't want to try and keep it fresh you know but rubber does deteriorate too doesn't it yeah the, the benefit it hardens being, yeah it hardens you know the benefit being it's the ultraviolet that, that hurts the rubber as such and everything all our tyres um, are kept out of the, the ultraviolet uh, from when they leave the factory uh, right up until when they're um, fitted on the wheels so they're protected right the way through that so um, yeah, that's uh, that's a pretty important thing you know and just to try and uh, keep them fresh for them mm. You mentioned how you're working through contract extensions but the pressure that you were under 20 years ago to get that first contract or tender in is that pressure relived every tender process? Not so much you know the, the thing at the moment is um, you know, not blowing our own trumpet and everything, but we're doing a good job as far as the working relationship is very, very healthy. Um, so we've just got to keep doing that and keep working with them, and you know, like and and it, you know, just keeping their good books basically, and just keep rolling the thing over. It's a, it is a very difficult um, thing to tool up and do. It would be a very, very expensive exercise to change everything over. Um, we're not taking that for granted by any means, but for somebody else to come in, it would be a significant jump. Doesn't mean it wouldn't happen, but. Um, uh, you know they've they've got a, a brand of supercars to protect, and um, you know we've we've got to do our utmost to um, to help them protect that brand and and keep in the forefront so they don't go looking elsewhere. You know that's just something that we, that's, that's up to us. You know we've got to um, keep pushing and, and 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 doing a good job. Having the best knowledge of the actual operating costs and the cost of doing business, your biggest risk is someone buying the contract, just going with a ridiculous price, knowing that they're never going to have it but they've got another agenda 
outside of motor racing. Yeah, absolutely. You know, there's there's nothing to say that somebody won't come in and say, right, are we going to supply your tyres for nothing? You know, like all of a sudden, bang, you're, you're there. You know, just, yeah, you know, the, the teams would be jumping for joy, believe me. So, uh, you know, it's that type of thing. I mean, we're, we're subsidising the tyre. The tyre's now the cheapest it's, it's ever been, you know. And I remember the very first, uh, the first tender we put in uh, was right around the time when... Um, you know, it was only a year or so later, I think, that the GST came in, you know, as opposed to sales tax. So that, that factored into it there. And, but that, that was $495 a tyre then, you know, and think what the wages were back then and all that sort of caper and everything. Like, it was, you know, significantly expensive. Um, and, uh, and now it's $1,000 a set or there Correct. Yeah, that's right. So, you know, there's, there's that comes into it as well. And, you know, price of two and a half tyres 20 years ago yep. is now the full set. Correct. And that's the type of evolution that, that's happened and there's a lot of you know the, a lot of benefit in this making a lot of the same product you don't have downtime factories any manufacturing facility hate downtime they um you know it, it's expensive when you're, you're stopping and you know changing molds or whatever the case may be and that's a way where how we're able to do it um you know to able to uh you know keep the cost down is you're punching the same thing out and no it's not a donut machine that just spits them out um it is a very lengthy process to to manufacture tires it's uh, it's one of those things but um you know it's it's uh you know something we're, we're proud of and you've got to keep working you, you never sit in your laurels and just think it's going to happen and think it's going to roll over you've got to keep chipping away at it so the question people are asking is how did a bridgestone man become a dunlop man um yeah, it was just one of those things, I guess, in the way of... Um, I've been doing it for such a long time. I've been doing it since 87. Um, and it was just, you know, do you want to change shirts and come and do this? It was literally that simple. I left Bridgestone on the 21st of December with no idea what I was going to do. I'd been there a fairly long time and left there with a nice um, little check in my back pocket and, right, I have a bit of a time off and catch my breath because it, it had been a very, very busy period, that, that three-year deal and everything else like that. And I got a phone call at... Uh, Eight o'clock on the Monday morning, which just happened to be Christmas Eve, and I thought, "You beauty, first first actual day off of not being able to work, and somebody's woken me up." And and um, yeah, it was Jeff Moorhead who was the, the technical boss at Dunlop at the time. Said, uh, "We'd like to have a talk to you. What are you going to do? What's your, your plans and everything?" And as it turned out, I was uh, in their office in Melbourne by one o'clock, and had it all laid out on the table in front of me. And well, here it is. And I sort of said, well, "I need a week to make a decision because I was actually going away." And it. Um, yeah, then the phone calls kept coming. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? All, all uh, <laughs> just on Boxing Day, even you know, it was like, oh god, okay, better make my mind up on this one. And yeah, so the, the rest is history, and um, yeah, came on taking over the whole project, um, and uh, haven't looked back. It's been great. You probably have put a tire on every car in supercars Craig Lowndes has driven. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. You know, like, um, you know, I had a look. Uh, at, at the bend and had a look at um, Jamie's car, Kate, in there at the uh, in the in the welcome centre or the museum there at uh, at the bend, and you sort of sit back and yeah, that car had 28 wins and everything, and then you think about it and think, well, geez, Wind Cup's had over 100, 108, 110 wins, whatever it is now, and we've supplied the tyres for every single one of those, you know. So um, you sort of sit back and look at the odd thing like that, and you're like, every single tyre you've had um, has come from me. So yeah, that's pretty cool. You sort of. Uh, lots of those things but you know it'd be sad to see Craig go at the end of the year and got a lot of history with him I was at his very first test at HRT and um, you know back, back one of the, the, the first meetings there and things you know it was just uh, we were heavily involved with, with HRT sort of 93, 4, 5 mm. um, in those days with lots of development going on between them and then I ended up um, 
you know, with Graham Mort Brown from Holden Dealer Team Days, is looking after the those side of the, that side of the garage, and I was looking after Glenn Seaton's cars and through the uh, those days. So yeah, it was that type of thing with a bit of experience to sort of come back. But yeah, yeah, you um, yeah, you sort of sit back and look at uh, everything that Lands he's done and all that, and yeah, it's been uh, it's been pretty good times. Yes. Do you have an opinion on who the heir apparent will be? Oh, hard to tell. I mean, there's some, some good young kids out there, but I think Scotty Max endeared himself to everybody with the, the Volvo drive in Adelaide the, the, the first year. You know, just um, that, that run to Jamie, people sort of all of a sudden, you know, I mean, he made Volvo cool. He really did, you know, and uh, it was a shame to see what happened there and everything else like that. But at the moment, he's, he's uh, loved by a lot of people, both Aussies and Kiwis, and he's a Kiwi when he wants to be. He's an Aussie when he wants to be, and he's just a, he's just a lad, you know, he, he's good. So I, I see a lot of Craig... In, in Scotty, I really do. Um, he's uh, he's got a person about personality. Um, he can have a laugh and have a bit of a joke and and everything like that. He's he's under an immense pressure at the moment. You know, Shane Shane's coming. Um, there's no doubt about that. But I, I, you know, my, my gut feeling is that that he's there. Dave Reynolds is, is is fantastic and that he you know he's quirky and he's different and he's uh, he's way out there and everything like that. And the, the fans love that. You know, and that's what they need to be able to do. You've got to be able to engage with everybody and anybody from a you know three or four year old kid to a seventy year old man. And it's uh, he's uh, yeah. There's a couple of really good guys out there at the moment, but they've just got to learn. You know, that's that's the thing. Just got to learn from everything Craig's done with the people. Um, uh, over a lot of years, and it, it's not easy. There's days where you've had, you've had an absolute shocker and everything, but to still be able to put a smile on your dial and get out and you know you make a mistake, you admit it. Um, don't go blaming everything. Don't go blaming the tyres. Um, you know, um, so yeah, there's, there's, a, there's a couple of really really good guys out there at the moment, but absolute standouts at the moment are probably Scotty and uh, and Dave Reynolds. Kevin, it's always a pleasure to get your insights and uh, your reflections on what has been a, a very quick 20 years, I must say. Sure has, yeah. That really, when you sort of mentioned that, you know, 20 years, it's sort of like, wow, you know, it's, uh, it has been very, very quick. Yeah, it certainly has, but uh, let's roll on for the next 20. And after the break, our final thoughts for this week's Inside Supercars with Craig Ravel and Tony Whitlock. Each week, join the Inside Motorsport team as they look at all the news from across Australia and around the world. And, you know, every, every year I see Jackie's Stewart Grand Prix and I just remind myself of, of his part in, in starting the, the path to safer cars. Dissecting the sport with interviews, news and opinion. Jack Brabham certainly left his mark not only on Australian motorsport, but motorsport all around the world. Inside Motorsport broadcast on community radio and online at sportradio.com.au. Join in the conversation. Post your thoughts on our Sport Radio Facebook page. Welcome back to Inside Supercars, Craig. Your final thought for this week's Inside Supercars. Yeah, my final thought leads into a discussion that's definitely going to be had over the next few weeks and months and, well, even the next year until the 2020 calendar is released. But with the move afoot to go to a summer series for supercars, I have been a big advocate for it and people who have listened to this show over the... Uh, 10, 11 years that uh, I've been doing it and then Inside Motorsport before that, oh well, yeah, Inside Motorsport even before then, would know that I had supported the summer shift. But I've got to say about five or six years ago, I saw the summer sporting landscape starting to get filled with a, a lot of other sports. So at one stage, the only summer sport that anyone cared about it or knew was cricket. Now we've got cricket, soccer, basketball, uh, you've got the Big Bash 
as an extension of cricket options. You also have um, a whole host of summer sports, which might not get the television, but certainly have a large participation rate, surfing and so on. And I am now thinking that, well, that, that was my primary thinking for, no, it's too late to change. The other day, Tony, I was thinking, why and how is a summer series going to work when your main game is going to be running at either twilight or at night and your support categories, which do a lot of funding to uh, make supercars go around, who don't have the doctors and physiotherapists and all the support that you need, they're going to be running in the hottest part of the Australian summer through the early after or through the mid afternoons sessions, providing support races for these twilight and evening races, and these categories: your TCMs, your uh, touring car, your touring car masters, your Aussie racing cars, your other categories like that. I wouldn't say GTs who have got air conditioning, and I'm pretty sure the Carrera Cups these days have got air conditioning as well. I'm not worried about those ones, but you think of your Dunlop Super 2s, you think of your Utes and all those other series which are run in closed cabins. If they're running in the hottest part of the day, they don't have the support crews that are able to look after the drivers like supercars do. I think the health risk to all those other drivers and officials and everything else is now my reason why I think it'd be ludicrous to go to a summer series and a very big risk. Well, it is a bit of a switch for you, isn't it? I've got 180 degrees on this. What I'd like to, <laughs> what I'd like to actually uh, make mention of is something I heard uh, about that happened in New Zealand and highlights something that uh, we know goes on at uh, young uh, boys and girls around Australia with parents who are a bit too eager on the sidelines. There was a, a, a rumour I heard that maybe there was a pushing match between the father of Scott McLaughlin and the father of uh, Shane Van Gisbergen happened at Pukekohe. They're in the garages next to each other. This may have occurred. But there may be a little bit too much in the way of father's involvement, particularly father's involvement, in these uh, lads' racing careers. So it's something that maybe that should be uh, tightly watched. Obviously, there's... Uh, a hell of a lot involved in getting a young man through the categories uh, to the end, starting out in go-karts, but maybe there's a bit too much involvement along the way. So it's certainly something that uh, people are very aware of nowadays is the uh, parental involvement with drivers. Mm. But we've got plenty more to uh, come before uh, we get to Newcastle, whether there's any more pushing matches either on track or off track. Allegedly. So that'll be it for another week of Inside yeah, inside supercars. So thanks very much from uh, me and uh, good night Ray. from him. Inside Supercars is produced by Thunder Media. Tune in next week for more at sportradio.com.au or lock in the podcast on your iTunes or mobile device. Search Inside Supercars.